Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a pair of multi-hyphenates who have recently joined Music World Forces, Justin Tranter and Jake Wesley Rogers. Tranter first found music biz fame with the band Semi-Precious Weapons, which had a decade-long run starting in 2004, and whose biggest claim to fame, besides their music itself, was opening on Lady Gaga's Monster Ball Tour. But Tranter pivoted after Semi-Precious Weapons split up and started writing songs for and with other artists, but not just any artists. Tranter has written for and with Justin Bieber, Imagine Dragons, Selena Gomez, Gwen Stefani, and many, many more. Chances are good you've heard a Justin Tranter composition on the radio, even if you didn't know it. Tranter has also written a bunch of songs for the upcoming Grease prequel series, Rise of the Pink Ladies, and seven songs on the brand new album by the massive Italian band Maniskin. Tranter has also been an incredible activist in the LGBTQ plus community and beyond, and their next move is becoming, as you'll hear in this chat, a mogul. And that's where the other half of today's TalkHouse podcast comes into the picture. Jake Wesley Rogers recently signed on with Tranter's new record label, Facet, and the two have plans to conquer the world together. I wouldn't bet against them. Rogers is from a younger generation, having grown up with the instant gratification of social media. He even appeared on America's Got Talent at 15 and started writing songs even earlier than that. But Rogers really found his voice with a couple of recent EPs, one called Pluto and the other called Love. Tranter and Rogers also recently co-wrote a song called Hindsight, which plays over the end credits of Bros, the first gay rom-com ever released by a major studio. They talk about that here a bit as well. Check out a little bit of that song, Hindsight. In this conversation, Tranter and Rogers talk about their daily processes, including the artist's way. They talk about great pop songs, great middle school teachers, destroying the patriarchy, and the dangers and joys of social media. Enjoy. Well, hi, Justin. Well, hello, Jake <laughs> Wesley Rogers. How are you? I'm great. How was um, your morning? What'd you do? Kind of what I do every morning. Do you want the full routine? I wake up. I open my windows. God bless. I uh, put the kettle on very quickly. Like immediately the second you're up? Yeah. Wow. And then I put my gluten-free vegan toast in the toaster. And then I like sit and have that. And then I do my morning pages. Have you ever done the artist way? I have not. I, okay. know, I know all about it, but I've yeah. never done it. Do my morning pages. And then I have a little altar that I kind of do witchy shit at. Am I allowed to say that? Witchy shit? Because? If swears aren't allowed, they'll... Okay. I mean, I, then in, I, I have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> what were your morning pages about? In the artist way, are you allowed to share what you wrote about? The thing about morning pages is you do it every morning. So it's literally whatever is on your mind. Mm. So like some days it's just like, I'll write for three pages about like a memory. And then sometimes it's like, I do like, might have something that's bothering me. And then by the end of the three pages, it's like, all right, it's out. That's so that's nice. kind of the purpose of it. I love but that. you start to see patterns too, you know, which is really interesting. I've been doing them probably like two years. What patterns have you noticed recently? Um, I haven't gone back and read any. That's when you see the patterns. That's really humbling. It's really weird because I for, I do it and I don't think about it for the rest of the day. Right. And you read them back and you realize that some, like for sometimes months, you're saying the same exact thing every single day. Wow. And then you're like, oh, I should probably change that thing in my life. Wow. Because I keep writing about it and I didn't realize it. Maybe I should try that. The artist way 
has helped me in a lot of ways. There's a lot of stuff that I've not kept. But yeah. how was your morning? I was up very early, walked the dog, went to the dermatologist. I already had two meetings. Oh my God. Three meetings, actually. Two on the phone, one in person. And now here we are. It's funny when, you, when you're young and you dream of, I dreamed of being a mogul, right? I wanted to be a rock star <laughs> yeah. for a long time, but the goal was always to like be on the cover of Forbes. I never really cared about the cover of Rolling Stone or anything. And then like you actually start becoming a mogul and you're like, oh, right. This is just a lot of meetings. You're I kind of <laughs> feel the same way. I mean, even <laughs> like, about pursuing the like the music thing, yeah. the reality of it versus why you started doing it, it's a lot different. Like for me, it's like making music is just because I love it. Yeah. But like trying to like be a mogul, whatever that means. Is what does that like, mean? I have something to, to prove. It means like, well, I'm still creating art to like help other people achieve their dreams as well. And whether that's for my world, obviously the record label or writers and producers on the publishing company, or also like employees that work with me of like, how can we get everyone to like the next step of their life? Mm -hmm. It's like being a leader, mm -hmm. but like instead of leading a cult, you mm -hmm. just lead companies, which sometimes can be cults. Um, <laughs> which, just to give anyone context listening to this, because if this is edited in order, welcome. You just ju <laughs> you jumped into quite a journey. So I'm Justin Tranner. I write pop songs. That's what I'm mainly known for. Um, and now I have a publishing company and a label. And one of the amazing, amazing artists I was lucky enough to sign to my label is the brilliant Jake Wesley Rogers, who just told you about his tea and gluten-free Toast. That's me. <laughs> That's us. You know, it's so like, you know, being able to like work with people like you to like figure out the best way to make everyone's dreams come true is that's my version of moguling is to like help other people's dreams come true i love that because the word mogul for me when i hear it i go oh but then like the reasoning behind it you're using it a bit ironically because moguls in the past have been hyper masculine terrible mostly cis men and that's why i use it on purpose yeah of like being a mogul as like a very femme queer person yes yes you're reclaiming mogul as that's like what i have to prove got it it's like we can do it too we can do it too my dear friend wendy goldstein who's the head of republic records always says to me just know once you start companies people aren't gonna like you mm. you like you can't always be everyone's best friend as mm. a songwriter sometimes you can just be everyone's best friend yeah it's like once you start companies like there's hard conversations there's like who got signed and who didn't get signed and yeah. who you almost signed but then you didn't like you start to realize why people have certain reputations because it's right. like some of it is just like being a monster is never okay. Right. But some of it is like, it's just what's going to happen doing business. Like yeah. hard conversations happen and weird shit happens. Right. And, which is um, like you were saying though, is it was you, what you thought being an artist was. Sure. You realize once you're on the journey. You're 14 in your bedroom writing things. Yeah. To express your soul because otherwise... You, you'll die because <laughs> yeah. you're a little yeah. a gay boy in Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> and that's still the core of it, really. Yeah. But accepting that to be an artist in 2022 is still the art has to be central. Or it else. has to be. But the promotion, the TikToking, mm -hmm. the reeling, the everything is <laughs> the, the reeling. And the reeling and the raving. I've been doing this since I was literally like 12, but... I feel like 2021 is the first year we release songs together. Yeah. That was kind of my first like big step in. And I think I had like a lot of, you know, beginner's luck and just, I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump in. But then by the end of the year, I was like, 
whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I saying? I'm talking to my phone eight hours. Endlessly. <laughs> but you have to come back to it. And now I just literally view it all as a tool. But the problem with is. the tool yeah. is the tool, it, you can start to feel like the tool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The beautiful part is if you look at it the right way, like it's like you're actually in charge of it. When in my band days, it was you just go and you go to like, a hundred radio stations and talk to old straight men who are probably never going to play your song. <laughs> or for me, because our band was loved by so many big pop stars. Yeah. Anytime I would go and do what I thought was to promote myself, they would just ask me questions about the pop stars that love my band. Right. And you're like, oh my God, they're already <laughs> famous enough. Like, right. Like just go watch their 75 interviews yeah. from yesterday. Right, right. So I think it's more taxing on young artists because you're literally in charge. Yeah. You you have to just do it. Yeah. And the gatekeeping is so much it's there is no gatekeeping. There's no gatekeeping. If something goes crazy enough on the internet, yeah, that's when the radio starts to play it. Yeah. Like, yes, you need a label to like handle the, the logistics of how the radio plays it. Yeah. And you need a label to like support and pay for and get you on late night TV and all these things. But like you are in control of like it yeah. actually going online, which yeah. is, I think, a benefit. You know, it's like you and I have talked about this before, but for anyone listening, like there's this amazing interview from the 80s at New Music Seminar of Madonna and like mm. Hollow Notes and a bunch of other. And Hollow Notes are amazing, by the way. Like this is no shade to them. Like I, my parents are obsessed with them and I've seen them live like three times and it's always fantastic. But um, they're all complaining mm -hmm. about like music videos. Mm -hmm. And like, we signed up to be musicians, not actors. <laughs> and Madonna's like, I think it's just like you said, I think it's an amazing artistic tool to get people to hear my music. I think right. it's art. And in those early days, though, it was hard to imagine because so much of it was just like, you're going to stand in front of a wall with a microphone and lip sync to your song. Literally not creative. And so it's like, that's what so much, I'm sure like, I don't do it. I like made like three TikToks in my life. So I can't, I don't understand what you're going through Probably in you. the in logistical <laughs> sense. But like, it must feel the same thing to so many people. Like, what the fuck is this? But then you come across like some of your TikToks can be so emotional and amazing. Yeah. Or like Chapel Roan, who's, yeah. if you don't know Chapel Roan, listening, check her out. She's amazing. Who's like, TikToks are so fucking unhinged and brilliant. It's yeah. like, the people who are real artists are finding real artistic ways to do this. And you have to approach it that way, just as a different medium for your art. There's so much noise. I mean, it's made to steal your attention and to right. kind of steal your consciousness if we want to go deeper. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and as you just experienced yeah. for a TikTok you made of a song you wrote, what's yeah. the name of the song? I don't oh, God Bless, it's unreleased. God Bless, it's unreleased song. And the lyrics are very evocative and beautiful and honest and vulnerable as far as someone like you and I would be concerned. Yeah. But what we also see what TikTok does is eventually it pushes it to people who are going to hate what you're saying. Yeah, it hits different algorithms. My mom uh, worked in radio like my whole life. Yeah. She just retired. And I think, because I started doing this so young, like, I started putting music on YouTube and I was like, Tad. and there'd always be like some like hate comment and probably the first ones like devastated me, you know? She taught me very young that if you're causing someone enough emotion that they comment anything, yeah. it's a good thing. She managed DJs like the last 10 years of her life. Oh, wow. She like every now and then she'd be like, I'm not getting enough hate calls about you. Like <laughs> do something more bold. I took it as a good sign. Like, yeah. I think to be hated by the wrong people or by the right people. Yeah. And like TikTok does that on purpose because the whole point is to get your attention. Yes. And so like it will play me things that 
it, I hate, but I hate it so much that I watch the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm a victim to the algorithm. I mean, we have to take breaks. We yeah. have to like, I, I think that's something I'm trying to normalize too, is yeah. that like a 365 outpour is going to kill every single person yeah. on this planet. I mean, social media is going to kill us all. I say this earnestly, just trying to use it, obviously to spread my music, but just to bring more peace and yeah. love to it. I've muted almost everyone who works in the music business <laughs> because I, I found myself having FOMO for things yeah. I would never want to do. Yeah. Like there were literally like sessions, I'm sure I've told you this before, but like I would see people in sessions that I said no to. I don't want to do that. Right. But then you see the Insta story of them in the session oh. and you're like, fuck, should I have said yes? <laughs> it's such a mind fuck. It's like I try to mute almost everyone in the music business or even mute like people I love, friends I love, but like they're just their social media presence is so cringy <laughs> that you just have to mute it. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, so maybe they think I'm bad too. Like, let's just love each other. Right. It's a wild west. And there's no rules anymore, yeah. too. I think just going for it is all you can do. Yeah. Which has served me best. Yeah. I mean, my one thing that did the best was that one where someone was heckling me. Right. In, in like, my small town of Missouri, if I was a boy or a girl. And, I, like, my response to it. Yeah. Like, that's what clicked the most. So, yeah, yeah there's more peace with it now. I mean, and that video was amazing. And it was just one take. It was yeah. just, you know, you just go for it. I'm a moment. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process. And often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of The Talk House is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. They also make it easy to upload lyrics and metadata and to track your earnings and share them with your bandmates and co-writers. You can even snap on extras like Instant Share, which allows for easy collaboration. The DistroKid app makes it all a seamless experience that will save you a ton of time that would be better spent making music. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Head over to the App Store to download it. All bands and artists have jobs, right? Jobs they do like, others they don't. Times they're fucked up and they've had to face the boss with rosy cheeks and the tails between their legs. 101 Part-Time Jobs is the podcast where we hear those stories. I've had some killer guests on, like The Chisel, Chastity Belt, Real Estate, Kurt Vile, Mannequin Pussy, and so many more. If you subscribe to 101 Part-Time Jobs podcast, you'll be getting two episodes weekly. That's a promise. See you soon. So you, you have a big hometown show. I do. This weekend. Yeah. How does that feel to return to your hometown mm. after these two years that have for better and probably for worse completely changed your life <laughs> i do love going home yeah from springfield missouri i mean you're from the midwest too yeah obviously chicago is different than missouri <laughs> there's just some like unspoken feeling when i'm back there that like i think i found it when i was growing up too I think all queer people are keenly aware from a young age what is safe and what is not safe. Yeah. 
But you can you find little pockets there that are really beautiful. And yeah, I'm just excited to go home. And I'm I feel like all of my middle school teachers are gonna be there, which is <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> and I I think particularly gay boys have a special connection with their middle school teachers. There's someone who's not going to hate me. They protect me. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. I literally like started a knitting club with my earth science teacher. <laughs> you <laughs> did not. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Wait, you actually did? Sure, yeah. She took me to a Michael Bublé concert and I was still her student. <laughs> <laughs> Just the two of you? Just the two of us. Wow. Yeah, it was great. That's amazing. I had a couple teachers that I loved, but no one ever took me mm. to a Michael Bublé concert. Were you good at school? I was really good at school. Yeah, me too. I like learned very quickly that like participation goes a very long way. And my parents would be like, "Don't worry, you're working your ass off. You're fine. Like you just won't have your homework for tomorrow." And I would like go to bed, and I would lie there, and I would try to go to sleep, and I couldn't. <laughs> and I would get up, and the whole family, everyone in the house is asleep. Yeah, and I would like get out of my bed hoping to not wake up my brother who was on like the bunk bed above me and go and finish my homework at like 1am because I couldn't like the thought of a teacher like being disappointed in me I think I have the same thing people make fun of that maybe make fun of is the wrong word but some people think it's like unhealthy to always want to like do the right thing yeah it serves me well I feel the same way like the few times where I had a teacher like get upset with me like I can literally remember it like literally leaving to go and cry I think something I see you do is I feel like you're good at like holding a room and making everybody sort of feel at ease even if there's people in the room that you don't like (laughs) 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 which I think like I think you and I like admire people and artists that are like no, if the, like they're just so kind of cutthroat, yeah. but like that's just not us. Well, I think that's a privilege afforded to only a few. Sure. There aren't many queer people who can succeed being mean. Mm. And also, I just find like that's such like a wasteful energy, mm-hmm. like having people live in fear. I mean, I've I've been around many, many people who run their lives whatever their empire is, whether it's a pop star, whether it's an mm. executive, a manager, who run their lives by fear right. and run their companies, whatever you want to call it. you know, like Because pop stars are CEOs of their own massive companies, right? Yeah. Who run it all in fear. Mm. And I'm just like, no one, no one is enjoying themselves. And people are just going to be afraid to ever be honest with you. They're going to be afraid to ever fuck up. And then if they do fuck up, they're going to be afraid to tell you they fucked up and try to hide it. Do you think that's why... A lot of pop stars are, I mean, this is generalizing, but do you think that's why their music just gets bad? Um, I know that, like, that's a big statement (laughs) and you have to be careful. Yeah. But, but, you know, like, I feel like a lot of people, like, when I was a kid, like, their first couple albums, I'm like, what? Like, there's just, it's just art. It's just real. And then there's this point where, like, it just doesn't, yeah, it feels like no one's telling them no. I understand you say I have to be careful, but I can talk about, like, pop stars way before I was in the business. So it's not even about people that I work with, but I think it's about a couple things. One you lose perspective of yourself because when the whole world is perceiving a version of you that you created and they're worshiping it or they're hating it, or, you know, like, like you said, your mom said, we need DJs. If you're, even if you're a fucking DJ on the radio, people should love you and hate you. That's what pop stars are too. So like the world is loving you and hating you Mm. all the time at the same time. And so you like you, who are you inside of those versions of those perceptions? So I think losing perspective of who you are and losing perspective of just like normal feelings, I think um, 
not normal feelings of because every feeling is is normal of of relatable feelings. Yeah. Then that affects the music, and then also to just no one, everyone being afraid to like actually be honest with you. And then you hear the famous stories of people turn in albums, and it's an A and R cliche, but a lot of times it's true. Like we love this, but we don't hear the single, which is basically <laughs> their nice way of saying this isn't good enough yet. Yeah. And sometimes there is a single and it was just the A&R was wrong. But most times yeah. when they say that, it's because like, that's the nice way of saying this isn't great yet. We need like one or two songs that are truly special. But you can't just say that to people because they're now so powerful that you have to be afraid of them. <laughs> I also think the older that you get, especially if you're working on yourself. So like, even if you aren't a mean pop star, mm-hmm. if you're a nice one and you've come to peace sometimes those don't make the best songs. Like when you're young, right? And you decide when you're 14 and you have to write this thing or you're going to die. Yeah. Once you get good at writing the thing that you have to write or you're going to die, which might be anywhere from 16 to 30. Yeah. 35, whatever. Like, yeah. I know for me, I'll just speak for me personally. Like when I was young, until I was about like 32, like I had to write songs. Yeah. Like there was this idea and this thing and this boy and this whatever or this asshole or this mean person being homophobic. Like, and I had to write about it. Yes. Once you like become a calmer person, it's like I don't write songs about my life anymore. Mm. It's like I want to talk to the young people I'm working with and like, what are you, what is boiling over sure. that you must talk about? So some of it might just be like, as people get older and more at peace, their records sort of lose that urgency. The peace is less interesting. I've also found, because I think I'm in that place too, like making this first album where like, I literally kind of feel that like, I have to say this. Yeah. It's that same feeling as when I was a yeah. kid. But I also feel like, I'm always surprised to like what's actually under the surface. You know, because we know now in psychology and science, like trauma doesn't leave your body. Like kind of ever. You see it and perhaps you've some like in my experience, like you go to therapy for five years and learn how to survive. I don't know who said it, but there's something if you survive childhood, you have enough material for the rest of your life. Right. Which I do actually think is true. For me, it's that kind of getting out of my own way mm. and just letting that deeper thing come through that right. needs to come through. Right. Which is actually why I do love working with you because I feel like a lot of people don't hold space for that. They're like, I have this idea, let's write it. And it just feels like songs are just, Math. my least favorite songs are the ones that are like, I thought the whole time. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel the way through it. Yeah. My, the best songs for me, not ones I've written, just ones I've heard, I can just like, oh, they like, they were seeing in the dark yeah. and like couldn't see anything and yeah. refining it. And I think 75% of the songs I write are probably the thought ones. Yeah, I think that. that my best songs are the ones that for the most part, the heart of the song is written very quickly. Yes. And yes, you want to tweak it and massage it and make sure it's great. But like if the heart of the song isn't written for me like in like 45 minutes, it's probably not going to be good because yeah. then we're thinking too You're much. Thinking. Yeah. Like, and you might not, you know, that means you were maybe in the session though for four hours because you're talking and you're hanging out and you're waiting till you get to that moment. Or like working with you is a perfect example of like, I just give you space to like fuck around on the piano and like make things up for a little bit. And then we have a conversation and then you fuck around a little bit more and then we have another conversation. And it's just like, yeah. you, like, and then once we find something that we actually think is, worth 
exploring, then the really great songs we write together go really fast. They do. It's like once you hit it, then you just let it go. Yeah. And then you can like look back later and organize it and go, okay, we're singing too much that note too often. So yeah. move that thing around. And it, but you only do that once like you let it flow. It's editing after a stream of consciousness. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Which you have to. Yeah. That's what makes the masterpiece. You know? And then I think the more you do it, you can even edit as it's going. Yes. You know, it's like, okay, we love this fucking chorus. And the chorus starts on this part of the phrase. So yeah. before we even try to sing a verse, just consciously know, start the melody in a different part of the phrase. Sure. And th that just comes from practice and habit. Yeah. But then also sometimes the greatest ones that I've written, like, and I still write with Julia Michaels all the time, but she's a pop star now. So it's not, we used to be together every single day, but now it's not. But it was, you know, I met her when she was 19 and she was so raw and had no music training and no none of it. And I'm like 33 and I went to fucking, I have a degree in songwriting. Yeah. I was in a band for years and it was a lot of it, like letting, just letting her do her thing. And I would like be silently doing like the melodic math yeah. as it's going. Yeah. And you try to figure out how to like move her phrasing without killing her flow. Now I just say it to her and everything. It's But like when she was so young and so raw, it was like, how do I navigate this yeah. without making her feel like she's doing anything wrong? But then so many times, just naturally, her melodic phrasing would be perfect melodic math and she'd have no idea. And I think that's the joy of collaborating to with someone you trust is that they can say, hey, that was very good. Like I <laughs> yeah. the second time we wrote together is in yeah. this room. Yeah. We wrote Middle of Love. Yeah. And I remember I like oftentimes when I sing something that's probably pretty good, I think it's stupid. Right. Like I literally and th I that's also a good sign to me. But I think like that chorus, I'm in the love in the middle. Of, like it's like, okay. But there's this like, you know, I sing it and you're like, wait. <laughs> and then you kind of zoom out and you're like, oh, but it it connects to a deeper feeling. Right. You know, it like it's not sounding too smart. It's approachable. Yeah. Which I think I always want my art to be. Yeah. Even if it's way left of center. Or even right. It's just like something you can latch on to. Some part of the song should be everyone understands it with one listen. Yes. And then other things can be layered and deeper. Yeah. But if you're aiming to write a song that many, many, many people are going to love... There has to be one thing that you get from the first lesson. Yeah. And like some like really simple pop songs, you get the whole thing on first lesson. Yeah. And that's also brilliant and yeah. really fucking hard to do. Yeah. But I think like for anyone who's trying to achieve any art form where like many people are going to like it. Yeah. You should be proud that there's one moment. I mean, yeah. our, our queen, Cheryl Crow, says the the courses for them, the verses are for us. Exactly. I think she said that. That could be literally a lie. But I but I do think she embodies it more than oh most God. people I've noticed. Like, yeah. Example, Soak of the Sun. Everybody knows that chorus. Yep. You sing it and you're like, nah. I'm like five years old singing it. The first <laughs> line of that song, my friend the communist holds meetings in his RV. I can't afford his gas. I'm stuck here watching TV. Like, what? I was going to say, I want to do have some fun. The best chorus ever. ever. So simple. And you listen to these detailed, yeah. detailed, yeah. full on, like old school yeah. folk music <laughs> storytelling. And like, but, and I said like, like passive fans just hear all I want to do is have some fun. Yes. The real fans, they, and, and they're both valuable, by the way. I'm not insulting passive fans. Without no. passive fans, we don't have pop music, and everyone's broke. Yeah. So, like, we love, <laughs> we love passive fans. But then the real fans, if they want to, if that's yeah. what they're into, yeah. they can rip apart the verses for years. I think it's funny. You and I have a lot of similar favorites. I think our probably common thread is, like, 
a woman who can write a fucking, a fucking song. song. Like yeah. that's always going to be our Madonna or like our, yeah. in like that, like for me, it was Regina Spector, but yeah. for you, I mean, Ani DeFranco, Ani DeFranco. Yeah. like it was just cause like, that's just, we're exactly different ages. Even I worship Regina. We both share yeah. Fiona. Well, and also too, like how old is your mom? She's in her fifties. Your mom and I are closer in age than you and I are. <laughs> so like my things that I love that you, you would technically be too young to love. Yeah. Your mom was listening to. I mean, same thing with Julia Michaels. Like her, her mom and I are like 10 years apart. Right. And me and Julia are like 14 years apart. But you have similar references because of. Because of it. Got it. And also, but I think also just like you, Julia is such a deep music fan that like, sure, her mom was listening to Fiona or whoever, but then Julia as a young adult did the deep dive on her own. Right. Which Which is when I saw you for the first time. Yeah. found your music. And the deep dive. So crazy. <laughs> it's just wild. So wild. The journey. Yeah. 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 yeah so for anyone listening, Jake saw my band open for Lady Gaga yeah. in 2010. And I had MySpace and I like went and followed you. And <laughs> I mean, MySpace changed my life. It's like, it was, I mean, it was our TikTok. Yeah. You know? And what I love about TikTok, to go back to that, is like, it, there has not been a social media platform that has broken music since MySpace. Like yeah, MySpace right. broke musicians. You're right. TikTok is breaking musicians. So it's like, we're all so mad at social media, which we have a right to be because it is dark and twisted, but like at least TikTok is breaking musicians again. Yeah. And just like anything, some musicians deserve it and the ones who deserve <laughs> it will continue, will take their TikTok success and be the superstars they deserve to yeah. be. And other ones will get a record deal and like nothing will really happen. Right. It's This has happened before. Over and over and over. Over and over. It's the same thing. I w- used to compare it for a couple years to, or for the last year to Disney of like some kids on Disney, they all get record deals and some kids actually put music out some kids never put music out and some kids put music out and it works and they mm. have these big careers. I've now take that back because the one thing about being a Disney kid is you did have to like have a work ethic. Yeah. TikTok, you could like literally just post like two videos and one of them just somehow goes crazy viral. Yeah, my second video I posted. It wasn't music. It was me telling everybody that Abraham Lincoln was gay. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it hit. It, it hit the polls. It's, well, I also had tea in I was seeping tea in my which was like iconic, my ear. right? Yeah. But if you would have been singing in that video, yeah, that, you could have right. gotten a record deal from 2020. that. <laughs> right. Well, and speaking of Abraham Lincoln is gay, and speaking of hindsight's twenty twenty, um, if you haven't seen the movie Bros, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good segue. They talk about how Abraham Lincoln is gay. Yeah. And um, you and I co-wrote the end title that you sing your ass off called Hindsight. Really interesting to watch the world process this moment. The craziest thing that I think happened watching it is that Julia Roberts and George Clooney released a romantic comedy a month later that was a huge fucking flop. And no one talks about it and no one cares. Yeah. Bros is brilliant, gets critical acclaim, does not do the numbers that it does, but because it's queer and it was the first of its kind, it's this media crisis yeah. of, oh God, this movie failed and now are like our gay people canceled from movies yeah. forever. And, and it's in like, general, do we have to go home? <laughs> are we all dead? Like what, a, as, a, as queer artists that we both are in different ways of making art, obviously in pop music, when you say artist, you mean the singer, but we both are people who create art and we're both very queer. To watch a movie get so much critical acclaim and not do the numbers and then just be like this media, like 
death knoll. Yes. Like, insane thing. And then to watch a straight rom-com a month later with superstars get zero critical acclaim and make no money and no one talks about it or cares. What an awful message to send to queer people. It of is. like, if your movie fails, every media outlet in the world is going to talk about it, even though it got great reviews. Right. There is... I hate to call it a glass ceiling, but there is. There it is. <laughs> and we're just here in this really strange time. Yeah. I think you called it wild earlier because it is. Yeah. Where there is like in the last three to five years, the like progress yeah. and the visibility is unlike anything it's I've amazing. seen in my life. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's yours too. And yet these things keep happening. Yeah. And there's, I don't, there's really no one to even blame because yeah. it's ingrained in all of us. Yeah. I do think about LGBTQ plus people in general, again, you and I talk about this, it's very, it's sometimes hard for us to support our, each other. Yeah. And I think it goes way back. It's like that feeling of, um, and I've felt it before too, like, oh, there can only be one. Yep. Oh, when I was at Borders Books and Music in 1999, and I opened up an out magazine and read an article about Rufus Rainwright, uh -huh. who was a piano-based queer singer-songwriter, which is what I was doing at the time. I literally got nauseous. I got mm. sick. And I was like, oh, that's it. It's over for me. It's not going to happen for me. Because we're so beat down, and we, which you know, we talk about all the time as well, as queer people, you're born alone in your house, right? So other marginalized groups, normally there's people in your house that have the same experience, that look like you, that feel like you, that love like you. And so you're you're taught to like in some ways to support each other better and to to understand like their like power and strength and numbers and blah blah blah. And I think as queer people, it's you don't you don't have that right. Mm -hmm. If, if a, a gay person shows up on TV and you're closeted and 12 years old, I, I mean I would have panic attacks. Even though my parents are progressive as fuck yeah. and had queer friends, I was still like. But are they going to be okay with me? Yeah. And like, I would see a, a queer character on a show or a queer or a queer person on fucking Oprah, and my heart would start pounding of fear. If I'm on a plane, like watching some TV show and straight people kissing, I'm like, you know, like you're sitting there in your Southwest flight with your. <laughs> everyone can see and everyone yeah. can see it. Like a straight couple because I'm like, but like as soon as there is a gay couple, I'm like, oh no, like everyone's watching me. Everyone said, I put this away. <laughs> yeah. Going to, a, and that probably goes back to the pleasing the teacher thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's still in me. Yeah. You know, internalized homophobia is still something I'm flushing out. I don't know if I ever will. I don't think in our lifetime we ever will. It's, you know, and it's, yes, things are so much better for young people, but like I know young kids who live in Los Angeles who get bullied for wanting, you know, young boys wanting to wear makeup to school who are getting bullied you know like it's it's still it's it's never gonna until the patriarchy is completely destroyed which yeah. is <laughs> we're working on it it's just <laughs> you know gotta keep fighting the good fight but that's yeah. quite a tall order yeah that's centuries we got and centuries. multiple religions to dismantle centuries. i can only speak for myself but that's kind of the reason why i guess choose to be so explicit in my openness yeah because i do know that it will affect and has affected young queer people. And also like the truth always makes for better art. And so even if that means that like your journey to ha finding success in that art might be longer because the audience is smaller to begin with, the people that do hear it are going to love it that much more because they can sense like honesty. You know, like I think about a good friend of mine, Dan Crean, who you know, who was in my band and now we make music together. He grew up in South Boston, like 
straight as fuck, the whole thing. But him as a real fan of art, like, didn't matter what, if like, if the lyrics were insane and in a good way, I had a song called Gag Reflex. (laughs) (laughs) I know where this is going. (laughs) And he was like the first straight person who was like, that's the best lyrics I've ever heard. Sure. And like, I I had like, on like weird early days, gay internet, like I put that song out like in 2002. So it was very early internet. Yeah. Gay people loved the song. Yeah. But he was like the first straight person who like, I was a true fan of art who like, even though like, I don't think the lyrics made him uncomfortable, but even if they did, he's such a fan of art. He doesn't care. Yeah. He was like, that's fucking bold well, and truth amazing. Is truth. truth we is know truth. that. It's like, so it's like, you got to fight for it no matter what. It's the reason why when we listen to Joni Mitchell's blue, it's like, I don't think you and I have ever been pregnant and given a baby up for adoption <laughs> nope. at 19. Nope. But when she sings about it, we understand fundamentally the suffering because we have suffered yeah. in a similar way. I've heard from a lot of, queer people that appreciate my music but i sometimes get messages from like my song jacob from the bible released a long time ago the reason we met but this one person mentioned, and this message still blows my mind that they had heard it on a playlist like yeah. whatever some spotify thing and didn't listen to the song and at that time they were kind of in this fundamental evangelical mindset and then they listened to the lyrics later which is a gay love story about my first boyfriend being named jacob right and they said that song single-handedly is what kind of, because I remember, I'll never hear this where they said, I asked myself, how could something so evil be so beautiful? Wow. And that was, they said, their turning point wow. of leaving or at least letting go of that belief. The truth is truth, truth for is truth. everyone. And I think that's actually how we change things as artists. Yeah. Because it is a more gentle way of allowing people into human experience. Yeah. Um, that's obviously extremely political, but it doesn't seem political. Yeah. It doesn't seem like anyone's yelling at you. I even think I got a much like a much simpler example of the beautiful, brilliant Joni Mitchell example is the song, Taylor Swift song 15. Right. From her right. masterpiece of an album. <laughs> I remember like that song is so fucking good and I have no idea what it's like to be like born basically a supermodel genius, mm. white, straight, cis woman. But listening to 15, going like, oh, fuck. Like, if Taylor Swift wasn't the best songwriter of our generation, she would have been like a cheerleader and a movie star, right? Mm. And she, at 15, still felt like shit. Mm. And to like hear that song, and I was like 28, <laughs> like in a glam punk band. Just bopping it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, it is. like the, like, And her lyrics are so specific. It's like, I can see 15-year-old Taylor Swift walking down the hallways of that fucking weird suburban high school. Mm. And I like want to give her a hug. The truth is always the best story. The truth is always the best story. It's always the best Period. story. Yeah. That's it. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Justin Tranter and Jake Wesley Rogers for chatting. If you like what you heard, please check out all the goodness on TalkHouse.com and subscribe to our weekly email newsletter. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.